Welcome to the Technoid Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Joining us on today's show, Ashish Rangnakar, I probably still butchered it, whatever. Dude is amazing. CEO of Bench Prep, co-founder CEO of Bench Prep. Uh, for those of you who don't know what Bench Prep is, you're going to find out some cool stuff. I, I didn't know. They were called Watermelon Express. Like, how in the hell do you get that? Like, I, I don't, you'll have to listen to figure it out. But uh, very cool. I mean, it's a, it's an example of a company who launches in the ed tech space as like a solve a problem for me and my my co-founder didn't even bother to like start a company. They just went and built an app and tried to put it in the app store only to find out that they needed to name a company. And they're like, uh, we don't even have a company. <laughs> what, what do you want to call it? Um which I talked about with him is is like in my mind there's not enough of that going on there's too much strategery as uh, President Bush uh, so coined it's just a little I don't know I, I don't know I, like I, I hear pitches all day so sometimes I get jaded but I just I'd love to see more founders who like the story starts with we just tried to do this thing and like it really wasn't about getting rich or, or anything it was just like cool and we did it um, these guys did it they're pushing you know 100 million in revenue over 70 people working for the company. Uh, growing very, very fast. And now uh, you'll get it from him on exactly what all the company does. But the, the gist is like everyone needs training at their office and certifications and they help you study and prepare for it, which is obviously a growing, growing business. So uh, with that said, uh, I'm looking forward to having that conversation. Before I go to that, though, we got to check that startup inbox. Let's see what we got here. Lydia Churn- Chernoff. Okay, Lydia Chernoff. Um, worry about appearance as a founder. How do I go with this one? Let's start with this. It's trendy for startup founders to wear jeans and a t-shirt with an emphasis on the knowledge over physical appearance. But at what point does how I dress and wear matter for business? All right. This one I have to take carefully because one, we're talking about a female founder. I don't want to say that I would change my opinion based on being a male founder. That's not what I'm saying, but there is sort of like an assumption that male founders, for whatever reason... Maybe it's the beard. I think it's the beard, actually. The beard is the giveaway. The beard already looks like unkempt. It just looks like it already looks like you don't give a shit. And so there's this assumption that if I'm wearing a beard, I can throw on a t-shirt and jeans. No offense to John, producer John here. Uh, but it just has this like thing. And I think that uh, this is not okay. But I do think that there's a little bit of a, a double standard that goes on. And so I'm just going to answer this ubiquitously to everyone. Let's make this very simple. Know your value. This is it. You have the ability to capture this person's attention for one minute and lose it or keep it. And it's up to you. And so I think you can have, uh, if you have all the cards, like one, you should be respectful to everybody. So I'm not saying don't be respectful, but if you have all the money, you've got all the cards, you're the one who they came to see. Yeah, you can, I'm not saying you should, but yeah, you can be a little late. You could show up in gym clothes. Like who gives a shit, man? Like I'm, you're here for me. And this is the way that I could present myself to you today. This is the window of time that I made available. Okay. They have that luxury. That is the right of the person who's got all the power. On the other hand, if you're the person asking for something, regardless of who you are, gender, sex, all this stuff doesn't matter. What matters is that you understand your audience And you know what they want and what they like and what they appreciate. And I'll tell you something. If you appreciate authenticity and you don't like people who want to put on airs, then my guess is when you show up and you dress however you dress and they don't respond well to it and they wish that you would have dressed the way they want you to dress, you probably shouldn't be in business with them in the first place. Don't do business with people that 
you don't align with? This is like a really weird way to answer this, but it's a true. Know your value. If you're the one bringing the value, do whatever the hell you want within reason. If you're not, then you have to make a choice. Do I want to be authentic or inauthentic? And if it's all about money and bucks and deals, then you chase that. And that means sometimes you got to swallow your pride. Sometimes you don't. Lydia, I don't know if I answered the question. I just went off on a rant here, but uh, but you get the gist. So anyway, this Startup Index is sponsored by Active Campaign. Go beyond email marketing with True Automation by signing up at activecampaign.com slash technori. Get your first two months for free. I can tell you we are using it. We're now like two months into it. Unbelievable. Totally like hate CRMs passionately. Love this CRM. I actually use the app on my phone. That's how much I enjoy the deal app on my phone. So you should definitely check it out. Okay. On to the show. Ashish, CEO of Bench Prep. I was saying before when you came in here, this is like Bench Prep Technory Day. We've got mm-hmm. Ajwal is on a panel uh, with myself, and I have spoken with him before at Tech, Tech Week a few times. Um, and I, I feel like I've met you once before at something, and, and I don't recall what it was, but uh, I've been a huge fan of Bench Prep Forever, and Technori obviously has been a huge fan of Bench Prep Forever. Uh, so it's just really cool to have you in here and, and to learn like where everything has gone and, and how Bench Prep has evolved, because I, I feel like the company that it, that it launched as and where it's at now, like, I, I, is it the same? Is it different? Like, what what are what are we looking at when we look at bench prep? Because it's yeah, a gem I mean, here. It's we have evolved dramatically, and I mean, first of all, I would I would say that big fan of Technori. I'm I'm glad we are doing that, and I almost think that for the last kind of few years we have been kind of focused and just kind of you know heads down working, and I'm glad that we are we are talking today so that we can actually begin to tell our story. And you're right. I mean, Ujwal and I have been doing this for almost 10 years now. I mean, this is like, we started in 2008. And for the first couple of years, it was just a project of like two guys working on an app kind of a thing. And then it's a, the first inning was us trying to figure out what's the B2C or direct to consumer model. And we did that for four years. And the second incarnation of the company has been the B2B model for the last four years or so. And it's only when we actually moved to B2B that things actually started to work. Yeah. So I almost feel like, you know, it has been 10 years and I'm already on my third startup with Bench Prep. So yeah. this, I think it'd be kind of fun to do this. And if you, if you remember this, which I have very, very much doubt that you forget this. If you could give me the pitch of what Bench Prep is when you started it and what bench prep is today, give me that pitch. I want to hear the let's, pitch that you would have made to me as an investor day one. Let's try to do that. I think the funny thing is it, it's kind of, it's a, it has been the same thing, but we pitch it differently. Yeah. Okay, so let's do that. So, by the way, funny story. When we started, um, and actually the legal name of the company is still Watermelon Express. <laughs> So that's, I did that's not know that. That yeah, is like, yeah. is that a public thing to people? I'm, they're going to find out now. But Oh, yeah, it's a public thing. I mean, for the first four years or five years, we operated as Watermelon Express. What is the derivation of that? Like, how did that, where does Watermelon Express come in? It, is that part it, of the picture? Is that just like, is, that's the name I mean, we did? It, it all came back to me because in when we started, we were pitching Watermelon Express. I mean, that was the company that we were pitching. I mean, Bench Prep is kind of the second, the B2B version of yeah. it. Um, I mean, the name came in because when initially when we started the company, it started off as an app 
I mean, this was an app for GMAT prep. I mean, this is something that I was going through where I was a professional working in New York City and I was preparing for my GMAT exam because I wanted to go back to graduate school to do my MBA. Yep. And the options that were available to me were actually not something that I was excited about. It's either I would, I can buy a book and, you know, pay 20 bucks. So I did the LSAT thing, so I'm with you on this. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, it was horrible. You absolutely know, like, terrible. You lug around the books and you had to like sneak it in, sneak it into a conference room and study. And I mean, just was, it was a horrible experience, right? On the other hand, I could buy, I could spend $1,000 and walk into a classroom program yep. right? that, that expected me to kind of come in every Tuesday evening, 6 p.m. Ready to go and... and and I didn't want to kind of, you know, go to a classroom. And I was traveling all around. It just kind of did, didn't fit my lifestyle. Yep. So Ujjal and I got together and I said, let's build an app for it. And that's how it all began. So the first product that we launched was a GMAT prep app. So here we are, um, you know, two of us. And we're like, okay, we'll build an app. And that's another story. And we'll get into that. But uh, what do we name the app? So we said, um, well, it's for GMAT, so we should have a GMAT name on it. And then there is a there is a mobile express component to it. So why don't we call it GMAT Express? And we're like, sure, that's a good name. Let's let's do it. So we build an app and we open up an account with Apple um, as a developer account and we upload the app and we are uploading the app and it goes like um, app name, we're like GMAT Express, company name. And then I look at Ujjal and be like, what's our company name? <laughs> so we didn't even think about what the company name is going to be. And that just speaks to the and fact that- And 10 years of your life later. <laughs> like, here we are. Right? Have it. But this just shows that it wasn't like Ujjal and I were sitting together and figuring out what's the business model, right? How are we going to raise capital? What the company, what is it going to be called 10 years from now? It was just two of us trying to solve a problem that we saw in our lives. I, can I say, like, I think- and then we're going to do the pitches. Yeah, yeah. Really. <laughs> like, I, I think this, and, and by all means, speak up if you disagree. I think this is one of the problems, like, by and large, the, the numbers for Chicago VC is very strong. It's the top of the country and returns to, to VC at 8x. And female entrepreneurs are even, you know, higher than that, which is really cool. But I, I still think that, like, one of the biggest problems in the in the startup community, not just Chicago, but abroad, is that there are less stories like yours there are not enough i think of the stories that um you know you hear it if you listen to shark tank and all this other garbage you hear the the, the story of like uh the ubiquitous um you know solve a problem that i had so that's my thing right but it's like forced it's not yeah it's not organic you don't have a story of like i literally can't get fundraising so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna create this and it's gonna do this and then like company well, I didn't even think about that. Like, yeah, it yeah. wasn't a company. I think some of the most successful companies that we have in this city are companies like yours. And, and the people who come in here and tell me the story, it, it's like that. I, I feel like maybe it's all of the, the, I call it struggle porn, but like all the stuff on YouTube and stuff, people talking about how to be an entrepreneur has like ruined the organic nature. And I think that that impacts the success of the companies a lot. Cause like, I think yours is like a, a journey that sort of paint by numbers and you just sort of like figure it out as you're going along, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I agree. I mean, I think things are much more organic than what people make them believe. Yeah. Right? And we can go on and on about even the most successful companies that were actually not started off with a extremely clear kind of vision or business plan in mind. 
Yeah. I mean, on a completely sidetrack, I'm actually kind of listening to an audio book, uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. I mean, okay. The, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. founder of Nike. Yeah, it's a great right? book. And, you know, we think of Nike as this like amazing brand, like marketing driven. I mean, they know how to kind of, you know, put the brand out. When he started Nike, I mean, he was essentially a reseller of a Japanese shoe company. Yep. I mean, he wasn't like a marketing guru or, no. you know, none of that. I mean, he was literally uh, selling shoes that he was importing from Japan. And one thing led to another. And he just made the best of what was given to him. And now Nike is kind of, you know, the best and the biggest $5 ever. a share. Yeah. Um, but no, so to your point, though, like, I, I feel like, don't get me wrong. Like, I think <clears throat> I, I am a fan of founders who find... I always call about the talk about the unfair advantage. I, I love founders that find an unfair advantage that they can they can like I don't want to say exploit, but exploit. And they identify that this is potentially a quick flip exit. There's potentially acquirers here. So I'm like following a business plan. Like this is very, very direct. I like that. But I think that sometimes we like try to force people into this box yeah. where like, so I have, um, well, you guys know these guys. Well, light bank, I have Vic Piscucci yeah. on the show all the time. And he's the one who actually kind of coined the unfair advantage phrase for our show. And one of the things he said is, is like, we, I make a mark of it. Like within the first five minutes of a conversation, founder idea, so I look at the set of founders and it's like, are these people who I, I just think, I don't know if this is the idea that they're going to crush, but they're going to crush something. I can yeah. just tell. Yeah. And <clears throat> I wonder if we've gotten to a point where because of all the numbers, because of the metrics, because of the data, the need for it and the explanation, the ROI and everything, that a lot of angels and VCs have focused in very hard on a couple of ideas and think fintech, blockchain, things that like are hot and have like ignored the individuals that are just like, solving a problem and going about it in organic nature. I feel like they don't get nearly enough attention. It's possible. And let's see, I mean, if you look at the VC model, right, the VC model is to find the two out of 100 companies that are going to return their fund. So at some point, there is slight difference between what an entrepreneur would want and what what VC well, company yeah, is looking yeah, for, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think from an entrepreneur perspective, it's a bad idea to focus on an idea that is that they think VCs would want to invest in. I mean, that's the worst thing that you you're going to have do. no passion behind it. And when things slide out, you're going to not, not know where to go because things would always slide out. Yes. I mean, I can assure you that, <laughs> that things would go wrong and what comes to rescue is your passion. And that's the only thing that's going to drive your perseverance that you would need to succeed in the long well, run. Yeah. Cause they're not paying you like, an exorbitant amount of money to test theories. Yeah. So like literally if, if you think that you're coming into this thing as like, I'm going to get a bunch of money to like go pursue this when, when the money dries up, it's still you grinding through the middle of the night and like making sacrifices to make it work. So yeah, totally get that. Because I think when I, even I, when I look at companies around me in Chicago and the companies that have succeeded, I can go on and on and kind of talk about how at one point in their life cycle, they had to pivot. Maybe it wasn't like business model. Maybe it was, you know, pricing. Maybe it was pivot around how they actually managed their, you know, leadership team or brand or whatever that might be. But never ever you kind of make a plan and it always happens the way it was meant to be. Well, let's prove that theory. So originally you started this as GMAT Express under the name of Watermelon Express, right? (laughs) So then it becomes bench prep. And now you've got the 2019 pitch. So let's have the, the 2019, what is bench prep? So 2019 pitch is 
we are a learning platform company and we are on a mission to enable today's education and training companies digitally transform themselves so that they can first survive and thrive in the world of online learning. We live in a world where today's modern learner is very different. They are, they are distracted. They get too many Slack messages, too many emails, too many text messages. They are impatient. They can't watch a video any longer than 10 minutes. Um, they are untethered. They want things to be gamified and personalized to them. But when you look at these education and training companies that have been around for 30, 40, 50 years who have been delivering training to these mo this modern learner, they don't have the right platform to deliver that. They're yep. still pushing books and ebooks and classroom training programs. And there is this disconnect. So we are, we are helping these companies deliver these best-in-class learning programs and making it insanely easy for the learner to consume these programs. So let me ask you a couple questions. So we actually just, so we, we obviously talked to a lot of startups and um, we had a, a group in yesterday. <clears throat> now they're more focused on like the marketing and marketing tech and education around br bringing tech to marketing folks in particular. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, one of the conversations that sort of spun out of it and, and I'm, I'm not going to name them because I was, I was honest to them in the meeting. I'm not saying I wasn't honest to them, but I left out a few layers mm -hmm. of the conversation because I knew I was talking to you today and I, I just had this feeling in my head that like I could make them not pursue their dreams by telling them the truth. <laughs> and I was like, it's not far enough along to tell you to like kill it. I'm, I don't know everything. Yeah. Um, but this, you, what you guys have built and the, you talk about the, the pivots and the pains, what you guys have gone through is like, to me, sort of the, what's the right word here? adulting like yeah. it's the it's the adult version of what a an ad tech company has to look like and there's this misconception that i can like host some events and host some classes and i can localize and have like offices all over and we'll go to big businesses and we'll help train their team yeah and that that's scalable and like in a sense it is because it's it's a headcount right it's yeah. like in your brain it's scalable in reality though not scalable no. because you've got to have the digital component. You've got to have metrics built into it that the businesses can go. How many times did, did these people go? How much did they learn? How did their performance increase? There's so much technology yeah. that goes into it. And I, and I didn't have the heart to tell them that like what you're doing is very cool. And they kept using the term general assembly. Yeah. Yeah. And I kept like semi cringing. Because I'm like, there's just so much more to oh, that, yeah, yeah. you know, that you just don't get. See, but I think, I mean, at some point, you need to tell those entrepreneurs, right? I mean, I wasn't I, in the spot to do that yesterday. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> if, if, they were, yeah. if they were asking me for money, I would. This was advice, and it was my advice was like, and they're, and they're early into this. Like, this isn't just, you know, just me. Like, they're really literally like, we're going to pursue this. We've got some some people doing classes. And this is kind of a, the Phil Knight Nike story in, in, in a sense, like, I don't know if they know what they're going to need to do to get to the next level, but they're early enough now that they could make a nice little business out of it locally. Yeah, but see, that's the <clears> point But that's that not my call, it, you know, call it, to tell the, them. The thing is, it's okay that the, I mean, not every business has to be a billion dollar business. Correct. Right? Not every business has to kind of, you know, get to 100 million in revenue. Right? Yep. But the entrepreneur need to make that decision early on. And it's funny, when I look back, there were people who told us I mean, I, I guess not not enough, but there were enough. There are a few people who told us that the B two C business model isn't really scalable, and we were just like, you know, 
arrogant and adamant about it. Yeah. So now when I get well, get, that's because you actually had the problem. You saw it firsthand of what it, what it is, and the fact that when you went searching for solutions, there was none. Yes, and so like as an, I'm assuming these were investor types who said that this isn't scalable. Yes when's the last time I guess if they were t- if they were taking a series or something I, I don't know what there would have been the last getting their broker dealer license I don't even think they have that yeah, like, so like no, when no. would be the last time that they had to, to struggle uh, with this 15 years ago right and they yeah. didn't have the tech yeah. to go to an app anyway so yeah. like and this is going back to that point we talked about in the start of the show which is like you've got to feel the pain for real yeah. or it, it's not you can't connect with it when you're in the deep woods yeah but I think the thing is the in our case, the pain was real and the need was there. I think the way we are attacking it with the direct-to-consumer model was not the right model. Yep. And it might have been the right model if we wanted to kind of build a company that will get to $10 million in revenue and that is it. Right? Yep. Amazing. And I think that's what I push for when I meet entrepreneurs now. I mean, I had a great meeting with an education entrepreneur two weeks ago. Hopefully um, it wasn't the same one. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, very smart guy, extremely passionate and has a phenomenal product and I had to kind of you know just lay it out to him that you know, this is a great product but if it's going to be very difficult for you to build a business which is going to get to 100 million dollars in revenue doing this yeah. which is okay so just make sure that the decisions that you make right now don't try to kind of make it into a 100 million dollar company with that product right either if the goal is to make get it to 100 million then change the product or business model a little bit and make it more aligned or you just kind of accept the fact that you know this is going to be a very good five to ten million dollar revenue company, which is nothing general, wrong with it. which fine. is which is great, and you know it's difficult to build, and it and it adds a lot of like you know social value. So you know do that. Yeah, I, and I will say like I I don't try. It depends on the stage before I say what I say, but like I will say this though. I I always point this out regardless of where the meeting is. If somebody is putting out something where. It's very cool. It could be very well adopted, but the cost of making it available far out, out like far exceeds the cost that someone is willing to pay to have it. Yeah, that's the first one. Where I'm like, right off the bat, like, like I'm just gonna tell you right now. There's a reason that this doesn't exist at a billion dollar. Like it just doesn't happen. Exactly. Um, but I want to I want to spin forward here with you a little bit to um, building a hundred million dollar in revenue company. So you you get from a point where you, you guys have to figure out. Uh, what the name of the business is. Yeah. Then you start your B2C model and it's like you can get some revenue. Maybe that's the fastest path to revenue, yeah. but not scalable revenue. Then you end up getting yourself now to this this next level where it's like B2B and almost B2B to C yeah. in a sense, and which then circles back around and starts promoting your B2C again because yeah. now it's like, well shit, I use this here. I could probably use it for something else. Definitely. Right. So you've got so how not necessarily uh, from a business standpoint, but more from a managerial standpoint, how do you uh, start to drive that ship? How do you start to get people to buy into this and go, okay, so like this $10 million company could be a $100 million. Co- like, how do you start to do that? So it's gradual. It was gradual in nature. I mean, I think when we when we did the pivot from B2C to B2B, I think the goal was we were actually not even trying to solve for $100 million. Yeah, We were saying, let's get it to 10, 15, $20 million, right? So everything that I was doing in terms of recruiting, setting up strategy, building the management team, um, every conversation in the internal all hands meeting or board meeting wasn't to tell the story about 100 million, but let's start with the 10 to 25 million. Yep. Because if you can't get to that, then 100 million doesn't, doesn't really matter. kind of matter, yeah. right? Um, 
<clears throat> and my job was to make sure that everyone was aligned towards this like $25 million story. And once that started to happen, and once everyone started to see the value that we were delivering to our customers, and when success started to kind of, you know, happen around us, that's when there was a lot of confidence, right? So then everyone started to believe, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, this is like 25 million, that's fine. We, we can we kind can of totally get to that get to point, 50, right? yeah. And once we got to that point <coughs> where that ship was sailing well and it was steady state, then we started to kind of open up the market and tell the bigger vision as to what's going to happen in the next five years as against next kind of, you know, four quarters. Yep. So I think it's, it's much more kind of gradual in nature, at least the way we did it. Uh, so would you, I mean, I guess I, I look at this and I just think of like, we've had several companies on here, um, you know, not really the same thing, but like Alligator Tech, Sid Bala was on here mm-hmm. talking about how like they've literally reinvented the company like three different times, same CEO, got to get the same people to buy into a new vision. And that's the part I think is interesting is like, not to get like super, you know, inspirational kind of stuff here, but like. I think that it's one of the biggest challenges that young leaders have, and I and there's a million reasons why I think this, and it's not just uh, lack of experience. I think it is, it's like a lot less interpersonal, you know, opportunities for younger people. They're not quite as like dealing with the dramas and the responsibilities I think younger people did in the past. Yeah, you know, having getting married earlier and that kind of deal. Um, but I I think that they have a very hard time getting people to believe that they can do anything. Yeah. And it's like, you hired me, you brought me on to do this. You as a leader, don't ever ask how you just as when, mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't care how we're going to do it. Like, that's not a question, but to get people to buy into that, but also manage expectation. Cause like, you don't want them to go, you know, bananas and fly through the wall. You need to like harness it. How do you get your people to, to continue to do their daily work, but then also continue to work, you know, exceedingly hard to, you know, sort of, um, what's the right way to put this? Uh, push the boundaries. Yeah. No, it's hard. First of all, it's very hard. I mean, uh, every leader has to figure out their own like, ways to, to do this. I mean, in my case, I don't think that, I mean, I've very early on, I realized that I don't want to be the person who is kind of doing these you know, all hands, inspirational kind of motivational speeches every week to yeah. kind of get the troops rallied. It wears out quickly. Yeah, and then it's like, you know, at the end of the day, like, okay, the speech was great, but like what happens like, when everyone goes back to the desk? Yeah. Like, do they have a plan? Do they have do they have something that they are actually kind of excited about you know, outside of the speech? So I think what, what I ended up doing was, um, you know, there were a few guiding principles um, that we laid out. And we said, Let's agree on these guiding principles. So let's not worry about like the business model and the pricing and who's the next customer that we are kind yeah. of signing. But let's agree on the three, four big things that all of us are excited about. Right? It's they're almost I would consider like the you know these are the the four pillars of where our company uh, on what our company is based on. Can I have you share the pillars or is that internal? No, no, definitely. Yeah, write I'll, this I'll, down. Yeah, I'll share whoever's this listening, down. write this yeah. down. So these are the guiding principles that we believe are happening around us and we'll kind of, you know, get to that. So the first is we believe that modern learner is very different, right? So today's learner, as I talked about, is, you know, untethered and, you know, they want personalized, gamified and so on, right? So I want to make sure that I look around the room and I talk to all of my team members and I say, do we agree to that, right? If we agree to that, then fine. I mean, that's, that's, 
we will do good work if we agree on this kind of first basic guiding principle. Second principle was the fact that um, we believe that credentials are not going away. So, you know, it's okay to kind of go to YouTube and learn how to make a pizza or, you know, how to be a Microsoft Excel guru. Assumed knowledge does not is not scalable. <laughs> exactly. You need to prove your mastery in that, right? So, you know, I look around the team and be like, do we agree to that? Right? So that's the second one. Third one is the fact that, um, you know, we need our platform would actually approach this in you know, a particular way. And I'm, I won't kind of go into the details, yeah. but, you know, that's the third one. Fourth one is the fact that education and training companies that are out there and have been out there for the last 50 years are not well equipped to actually solve this problem themselves, right? The fifth one is in our, I mean, although we are in a software business, but at the end of the day, we are in a pe- we are in people business, yeah. right? And we believe that happy people would make happy software and happy software would lead to happy outcomes. So these are like four that's or five- the, I mean, to principles. me, that's like all of these things are, are like it's ed tech, it's- Human, it's as a software company. I think the last one is 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 huge because it's. I think it's totally true. I mean, I've never, uh, I've never seen a good piece of tech built by someone who's unhappy and had a very good outcome. So usually it's glitchy and it and it ends about halfway because they quit. Yeah, yeah. But see, that's the thing. Some of these things are obvious. Yeah. But we want them to be obvious as a group, right? So we want everyone in my leadership team, management team, board, all the way down to an early like fresh out of college employee who just started, I want to make sure that they are aware of these guiding principles and they subscribe to them. And once they subscribe to them, then they would know like on every single decision that they're making every day, they want to, they should know that does it actually align to these five guiding principles? And if it does, then they're ready to rock and roll. Can can I ask you uh, just a range, like how many employees you manage? Yeah, so we have uh, roughly around seventy employees right now. So seventy employees. I, I look at this and I just think like if there's a you've said a bunch of things today that are like a really really good takeaway. This one that you didn't say it specifically, but like the the way that the messaging came across, the idea that if you want to manage seventy people and try to pursue a hundred million in revenue, and in the end the only thing that would make this successful failure for you is can I get everyone to buy into just three plus or minus one principles. And then what I'm looking at as a CEO is like, I'm not managing 70 people with 70 personalities chasing 70 independent missions. I'm managing one mission, three guiding principles, and anyone who is not going in the way of the pack, unfortunately may or may not work out. (laughs) Let's assume may not work out. And that keeps everything just much more manageable. And then it's like, you have to delegate to your management team how to control whichever vertical you're looking at. But generally speaking, even they have to adhere to the exact same guiding principles, lest this doesn't work. Yeah, and not just the management team, right? it goes all the way to every single employee because they are, in most cases, it's the the frontline team member who is interacting with the customer. Right? Yeah. I mean, we're not going to have our director of sales kind of talk to customer every time. And I want to make sure that even the frontline, like someone in the customer success team, someone on the QA team, someone on the sales operations, everyone is speaking the same language um, to every single customer. Mark Lawrence said this uh, when he was in on the Saturday Live WGen show that he his goal, he joked about the fact that he wouldn't want you as a customer to have to talk to him, but like just because of awkward. Yeah. But he his goal was that every person who hung up the phone felt like they talked to the top. 
Yeah. So the idea being that like every single person at this company has to buy into this mission of being a, a customer hero and that our job is to help you navigate what is one of the most frustrating things in the planet, parking. And every person <laughs> needs to hang up the phone feeling like I talked to the CEO and he just hooked me up with a spot. And that like training his top brass down to the people that they train and yep. that they manage and the people that they then manage and train and then everyone who gets hired in, beneath, in between, they all have to feel the same way. Otherwise, it doesn't work. That's I mean, that's very well said. That's empowerment, right? You have to empower every single... I mean, right now, we're only 70, but we'll be 100 very quickly. Yeah. I mean, very quickly, you get to a scale where even layers of management doesn't really help because the decisions are actually happening at the ground level. Yep. That's it's very cool. This has been a, a really fascinating conversation. I hope you got something out of it as well. Um, where do people go to learn more about bench prep? Benchprep.com. Very simple. And uh, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Everywhere at Bench Prep. Before I let you go, we're going to do a little startup showcase. You down? Yeah, let's All do it. All right, so you can throw your head, headset on here. So here's how this works. Uh, in a couple seconds here, good producer Tom is going to hit the play button. Uh, a company is going to call in and pitch a one minute, roughly, mm -hmm. uh, to pitch their business. And everyone listening can invest in the company on Republic at republic.co slash whatever the name of this company is. And uh, I just want to know from you as a founder, and I'm sure you do some angel investing as well. So uh, your take on the company and whether or not you'd be interested in it and or thoughts just in general. Let's do it. Cool. Let's do the little startup showcase. So Upsonder is, is connecting the world to drone services. Uh, drones are, are taking over our world, and Upsonder is building software and infrastructure to make sure that happens quicker. Uh, Upsonder's mission, we are deploying a drone anywhere, anytime, for any reason. That's, that's our goal. That's what we strive for each and every day. Uh, and today, Upsonder does this with our national marketplace of FAA-certified drone pilots. It's as simple as search and book. And for the future, Upsonder is developing a wireless rooftop charging network to support autonomous drones. Uh, Upsonder is going to be the reason why um, you get your online order in under 15 minutes. Uh, and your listeners, uh, they can go to republic.co forward slash Upsonder if they want to learn more or make a direct investment. Um, but it's our job. What we're doing is to make sure that drone services are easily accessible to the masses. All right. So here's the deal. Um, in case you listeners did not get the, the whole gist of this, I just want to make sure that it's clear. Um, they're building basically a, a network for drones to, to their, their assumption that they're making is that every person, not every person, but most people will have a drone on the top of their house and that drone is going to charge on that piece and go back and forth and pick up all these things and that there's going to be a huge opportunity. So right now what they have is FAA certified pilots who are flying the drones for you. You need like 24 hour notice to do it. It's not practical, but it's like a get started in the system kind of thing. And their hope mm -hmm. is that sort of like the Tesla supercharger network that everyone's house will be a parking spot essentially for drones. And, and that's how it's going to go. Thoughts? It's actually very interesting. Very interesting. I think there are a few, there are, let me highlight a couple of things that I really liked about it and yep. a couple of things that I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with. First is... Um, I I think they, they did a really good job kind of, um, you know, explaining what the product is um, or explaining what the value proposition is. I like the fact that, you know, he called it out that a good example is, you know, you'll order something and you'll get it in 15 minutes. Yeah. Right? The quantification was, was, was great. Um, the thing that I kind of struggled with was it's one of those things where um, I couldn't really, for, for a little bit, I couldn't understand who the customer was. Yeah. Right. So, 
am I the customer? Is it kind of, you know, some, you know, drone services company is the customer? So kind of calling out very quickly who the customer was is going to help. Second is, um, I think this, this entire business is kind of dependent on government authorities allowing this to happen. So it's one of those things where I'm I'm really excited about for, for this specific kind of you know yeah, thing yeah. to happen, and I think they can pull off from <clears throat> a product perspective. But they're kind of dependent on this third party, you know, FAA to allow this to happen. Um, so I think I would say that this is and it's ambitious. It's, yeah, I mean <laughs> it's it's I would I would worry about the externality in this in terms of you know their dependence on the FAA or some regulatory body yeah. allowing them to do this. So I. I agree with you. I, I said this to him on the show on Saturday. I think um, it's a real estate play to mm-hmm. me, actually. Like the drone thing is, it could be whatever, but I, I look at it like getting uh, in a partnership with the FAA and making available uh, and making money from people basically using their 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 real estate as a parking spot. So like we'll create a network of places where a bunch of drones could park and that they can be used for Amazon. Because one of the things he said that I got lost on was it when we th- and I could be wrong here, but when we when we think of the drone universe, yeah, we always think of Amazon sending drones to drop things off for me, Walgreens sending drones to drop things off for me, FedEx sending drones to drop. We never think of me sending drone to pick something up. Yeah, I don't think of it that way. Yeah, I I don't either. But, but I think I mean that's going to be very hard. So like, what if what if you remove that part of the question and you said? We're going to create landing zones where the drones can park and fly and move from. You don't own it. Yeah. But like Amazon might own it or somebody else might own it or it's a rental drone. It's autonomous and they just go where there's point A to point B. It's a pickup zone. I'm not saying this is going to be any better of an idea than than the original idea, but the idea of simplifying it and saying, okay, FAA, I don't want to get into this question about like whether or not we have clearance to fly. Yeah. I'd rather be like, do we have clearance to land and take off? Yeah. I don't care about the rest of it. Like, let me give you a network of places for drones to, because ch- they also have to charge, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for drones to charge and park yeah. all over the country, and I help facilitate what infrastructure. I like, like that much, much, much better, because let the Amazons and the Walmarts of the world deal with FAA in terms yeah. of what are the regulations in terms of... They got the right what, sway. Yeah, and like, what height can they fly on and like all of that stuff, but as a consumer, I'm just allowing, it's like a parking spot. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, maybe I spend I like too much better. time. In Chicago, we have way uh-huh. too many parking apps. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many, so maybe it's just like, that's my intuition, but anyway... Uh, this has been just honestly one of the better one of the better interviews we've done. Ashish, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I love the progress that Bench Prep has had. I hope that we can continue to do some stuff together. Absolutely. Um, and in general, thank you so much for, for taking the time. Thanks a lot for having us and sharing our story. Of course, anytime. We'll be doing more of that this evening. Mm-hmm. People will not hear this part because this will have already happened before you hear this <laughs> podcast, but know that we had a wonderful time and the panel undoubtedly went very well. You can learn more about upcoming Technori events and investment opportunities. Check out the blog on technori.com. Download the podcast on Spotify. Follow us on social at Technori, or you can follow me at Katoon. Boom, that's a wrap.